Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. Alright, this season is a little different than season four because you guys are choosing the topics. I asked you what you wanted to hear on the podcast, you gave me the topics of things that you needed the answers to, and I went out and found the experts and the professionals to come and speak to us about it. Something that kept popping up over and over and over and over and over again that I did not expect was a Q&A, a question and answer series with me. You guys just wanted to hear my thoughts on different questions. So that's what this episode is. I'm going to be taking to my Instagram DMs and I'm going to be answering your question. So if your question is featured in today's episode, you can be expecting a DM for us. We will DM you and let you know, hey, we answered your question on this episode. For the safety and privacy of everyone, I'm not going to be sharing people's names or accounts. Um, If you're someone whose questions get answered, I'm going to leave it up to you to share this episode with people. Um, That is not, that's not for me to share. So I'm going to do it anonymously and you can share it if you want to share it if your question is on here. All right, kicking us off, we're going to talk about induction. It says, I'm two days past my due date with my second child. My first was induced at 42 weeks and it led to a C-section. I'm being urged to induce at 41 weeks now, and I'd love your thoughts on this. Your guidance would be greatly appreciated, and I'm willing to pay you, of course. Thank you. Well, I don't want you to pay me, but I do want you to think about if induction didn't work with your body last time, we should ask why. There are obviously a number of things that can lead to a failed induction, Um, And only you're going to know those answers. But things to consider are, was your baby in the right position or a kind of funky position? Had you been paying attention to your own posture and body positions to make sure that you were making it easy for your baby to get in 
a good position for labor. Were you emotionally and mentally ready for labor? Were you feeling scared or safe and supported in the hospital? What are the chances that your body just was not ready why why might that have been did you do you have longer you know periods or menstrual cycles is there a chance that your due date might be wrong is there you know a chance that I don't know your baby just needs to cook a little bit longer we should think about these things right think about why it didn't work the first time I also don't know much about your induction. So if you are someone who started your induction and it never really progressed at all, you know, I guess chances are your baby wasn't in the right position, your body wasn't ready, or that mental emotional piece. But if you're someone who your labor started fine and your body was responding and it eventually got to a place in labor that your body just stopped, that makes me think, did your body know something that we didn't know? Like your baby needed to cook a little bit longer? Did something in the hospital scare you and disrupt that labor pattern? You know, when it comes to dissecting your last birth, I really think being brutally honest with yourself with, with really tough love, understanding that you did the best that you could in the time with the tools that you had at that time and the people around you, and the situation you were in. But that this time, now you know more. You've already been through it once. Now you can make different decisions. Now you've had more time to educate yourself. Maybe you've done different education or you've made different choices. This time can be different. And so I do think that when you're dissecting your last birth, make sure that you are being really honest with yourself about what was going on because if you can get down to why your last birth did not turn out the way that you wanted it to, you can better pinpoint how to actually achieve that this time and how to avoid going down the same path that your birth took last time. I also have questions about the way you were induced. So we know there are many medications for induction. When I say many, like that was so dramatic, like there were like there are thousands and thousands. There's not. There's there's a couple. You've got a couple of um, options when it comes to like mechanical, which we're gonna insert in. It's going to help your cervix dilate. And then you have medical, which is not only going to soften your cervix, but it could also get conduction started. So we've got a couple of different things that can help. Some hospitals have prostaglandin gels, even that might be an option. Um, when it comes to induction, I'm a firm believer that we need to do them in a specific way. And not meaning that there is one way to be induced, but meaning there is a procedure we should follow. We should check in with your body, see where we are starting. Double check that an induction is absolutely medically necessary and that we need to move forward with it. And then from the place that your body is at that time, that's what we start with and how we have positive inductions. We meet your body where it's at. I have an induction cheat sheet for you guys and it's totally free. It's actually been downloaded literally thousands of times um, I'm gonna link that for you you can you can have it I want you to know how to have a good induction because inductions get a bad rap but really they can be a super empowering experience 
Okay, I know that there are some things left unanswered in this, and it's because I need, obviously, more information. If you want a one-to-one -one consult, if anybody wants a one-to-one -one consult, if you're out there and like, oh, gosh, I really want to pick Hee's brain about one-to-one -one consults, I will also put that link in the show notes for you. Um, I do offer those every week, and we can talk about your specific situation whether it is planning for this birth or debriefing your past birth or debriefing a past birth to plan for this birth or asking questions because you've never done this before I want to help you have your most empowered birth no matter what you choose because that's what you deserve okay on to our second question what do you think about an iron infusion? Levels have dropped a bit and my midwife practice recommended one but I'm not sure of the pros and the cons well, iron is obviously really important in pregnancy. Not only is it essential for, like, life, like, you need it, um, but you're growing a human too, so they need some as well. And you also have so much more blood volume in your body in pregnancy. Um, you have a placenta and a cord, and, uh, you know, that blood is going through your baby. So uh, I think that you actually increase 30% blood volume during pregnancy. And so iron is really, really important. Anemia is also very common in pregnancy. And so I think that it's definitely a valid concern. Now, in terms of upping your iron, I think oral kind of ingested iron is more common than IV iron infusions. But there are some conditions that require the IV infusion and sometimes you see people need IV infusions when they've tried the oral route and it actually hasn't increased their iron. So in terms of the oral route, you can obviously start to consume iron-rich foods and you can also consider some sort of oral supplement. What you do want to be mindful of is what kind of iron it is. Make sure that you understand the difference and know about heme iron and why it's so important. One of the best ways to get iron and specifically heme iron is through organ meats. Personally, I take desiccated beef liver pills. I did a lot of research into it. I learned the benefits of it and... That, that is what I choose. Now, again, there are some conditions and some people's situations are going to require the IV iron infusions. You also have iron supplements that you can get at your local pharmacy or, you know, Target, CVS, Rite Aid, whatever you have in your area or your country. Now, the uh, over-the-counter pills, one of the main complaints about them is that they hurt people's stomach. A lot of times they will make you constipated and oddly enough, diarrhea is also. So it can do one of two things to your stomach. People experience um, both of those. IV iron infusions also have some downsides. It takes several days to a week to work. Um, people report bloating and, again, that constipation or diarrhea. 
and headaches as well. There's also that slight increased risk of infection because it is an IV, obviously. Now, I can tell the difference between the days that I take my desiccated liver pills and the days that I don't, literally the next day. So within 24 hours, on a day that I miss it, when I wake up the next day, I'm like, hmm, something is off. Oh, yeah. Other things that I notice are my skin looks brighter and I just feel like there's better blood flow uh, like to my face. My face just looks brighter and fuller but in a good way. Not puffy and not swollen but also not like dehydrated and kind of you know just sunken in. I just feel kind of old some days. When I take the desiccated liver pills I feel like my skin is glowing and it never has looked better. I also have noticed that my fingernails are much 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 stronger. I've been taking desiccated liver pills for about a year now. Um, I just had my nails done last night actually and I actually noticed wow my fingernails are so strong and I do attribute some of that to the beef liver pills it's just so nutritious it has so many vitamins and minerals that you don't get otherwise because a lot of time our food don't have those things or we cook it out or it's so processed that it's processed out um having that organ meat those that red meat is actually really beneficial um Okay, in terms of anemia in pregnancy, about 21.5 out of every 1,000 people are going to have anemia in pregnancy, and the risk of having anemia increases with each trimester. So you want to be very mindful of this because obviously you want to keep in mind postpartum blood loss. Blood loss is normal in pregnancy. Something is exiting your body. Something is coming out of you. It is a process that we expect you to have blood loss within a certain realm, right? There is a certain amount of blood that is normal and expected, and then anything above that is typically classified as a hemorrhage. Um, and so, yeah, when you when you find out that you have anemia or that your iron is low, I would definitely not play around with that. You definitely want to pay attention to that, and I think your doctor is really right in um, suggesting that you take care of it. I hope, and maybe it just wasn't in your message, but I hope that they gave you more options other than just the iron infusions. If they didn't, feel free to take back these other options that you might, you want to look at um, taking some sort of over-the-counter iron, or you'd like to discuss your options when it comes to desiccated beef liver, or you want to think about doing an iron-rich diet. Great question. Okay, on to number three, breastfeeding and getting pregnant. All right, do you have any content on getting pregnant while breastfeeding? I am breastfeeding my toddler and don't have a period, but I want to start trying. I also don't want to wean. Okay, well, sometimes... Slash, I have heard stories of people who have gotten pregnant, but they did not have a period. We know that our actual period is just the act of bleeding, and it typically means that we didn't ovulate, right? And so if you're not having a period, a lot of times we believe that 
we didn't ovulate. But that's not always true. Just because you ovulate doesn't mean you're going to bleed always, especially if you are breastfeeding. Breastfeeding can do the funkiest of things to your body and your hormones. And so we have to be mindful of that. This is how we sometimes hear those stories of people who were like, I got pregnant and did not know I was, I could like even get pregnant because I was still breastfeeding and I didn't have a period. So it's definitely possible. My recommendation is to get some OPK, some ovulation prediction kits and start using those. You can also go back to some of our recent episodes of the Birth Lounge podcast to hear more information on tracking your cycle. That's going to be episode 229 with Jesse Brebner and episode 230 with Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. They're both going to share information on how you can start to learn your menstrual cycle, start to learn if you have ovulated, start to know the signs and the patterns of your body so that you understand what's really going on with your fertility. And then those OPKs are going to be helpful in understanding if your body has the hormones uh, showing that you have already ovulated. Um, I don't think there's any reason necessarily for you to wean in order to become pregnant unless you find that you feel it's impeding your ability to get and stay pregnant. And at that point, it would obviously be a different conversation. All right, awesome question. I know a lot of people out there breastfeed for extended periods of time and, you know, growing your family doesn't always have to stop just because you are still feeding one of your own your other babies. Okay. Next question. Now, I recently had pink eye. I have no idea where I got it, but I woke up and my eye was all pink and it was kind of gunky and it didn't hurt, but it definitely felt inflamed and swollen. And like I say, there was some like crusty, gunky stuff. Um, Immediately, immediately, I went to my freezer and I got some breast milk. Now, I used to teach early childhood education and I was always exposed to yucky things. The stomach bug, the flu, RSV, hand, foot, mouth, pink eye, the cold, just like the croup, all sorts of yucky things. Breast milk can solve so many things. So I'm not new to using breast milk for pink eye. I've used it for that, for ear infections. I've used it for that, for acne, for scars on my body, for rashes that I, you know, get. Breast milk is amazing. So someone had written in about using black tea as a remedy for pink eye. So I didn't know this, but they also asked how you would apply it and if it was okay to use someone else's breast milk on your eye, like on your body like that. So for me, I got this breast milk from one of my very good friends and I know her health history, I know her lifestyle, and I understand the risk of using another human's bodily fluids on my body like that. I chose someone that I feel comfortable with those things that matter. I know whether this person, you know, 
drinks or smokes and I know what they eat and I know their exercise pattern and I know their stress level and um, I mentioned their health history. These are things that you want to consider when you are thinking about or if you think about getting uh, breast milk donation and whether it be for you or for your baby to, to feed your baby, which we also have an episode um, of the Birth Launch podcast all about donor milk. Episode 222 with Sterling Grace Simmons from Loyal Lactation where she actually dives into the process of getting and donating uh, breast milk. So getting donated breast milk and also like donating your own breast milk. The way I look at it is if I needed antibiotics, then that's what would have happened if I had gone straight to the doctor. If I gave breast milk... 24 hours to work and it worked, then great, I avoided antibiotics. If I gave breast milk 24 hours to work and it didn't work, then I would go to the doctor and I would be right back at that first option of getting antibiotics and it was the risk of do I give it the 24 hours the risk is that you go in a day later and you could have had antibiotics 24 hours earlier that was a risk I was willing to take and so I took it I had seen the magic of breast milk work before um, like I say I've used it for many years for for various things and um, yeah that's that so I decided to use it and if you're curious to see how that turned out you should visit my Instagram Um, I put pictures up and it cleared up my pink eye in 24 hours completely gone I continued to do it um, just to make sure that everything was completely gone but you can see pictures where it goes from a gunky pink eye to completely clear I tell you how often I do it and how I apply it and all that stuff over on Instagram so go check that out Um, I think a lot of people on the internet were really interested to see how it would you know be used with pink eye um and like I say I've used it before so I was eager to share that so great question uh great question okay next all right let's talk about failed induction so this says I had a failed induction I was dilated to four centimeters for four days woof until I just gave up and got a c-section I'm very sad about it and I was wondering what are some things that I could have done Differently, I was induced because my baby was measuring too big at 37 weeks. My baby was born at 7 pounds, 14 ounces, and I'm actually still mourning the birth that I wanted. And I got everything I didn't want. Also, the Pitocin was already on 30. Oh my goodness. All right. First, I have a Pitocin cheat sheet it's totally free it's a guide to pitocin it's going to tell you all about pitocin what you need to know how you need to know to talk about it with your providers and your nurses what you need to request in terms of meeting your goals for having an empowered induction whatever that looks like for you it's going to talk about the fda regulations too so you should be familiar with what the fda says about pitocin use and how it says it should be used. You should rarely, rarely be getting two units of nine and 10 and yours was at 30. So more than three times what is recommended as the max, max, maximum dose. That is concerning 
right? At that point, remember a few questions ago when I said, if the induction isn't working, we should be asking the question, why? This is when you ask why. Why are we having to get the Pitocin so high? Why are we having to climb even further? Why are we more than doubling the FDA recommended max dose? Why are we tripling it now? We need to be asking why. What else could we be doing? Is it, you know, medically necessary? Was this elective? Is there a chance to go home? Make sure that you've brushed up too on how to avoid a failed induction that turns into a C-section. You can have a failed induction that actually you go home afterwards. You cannot have broken water. So if they offer amniotomy, really consider that. If you're hoping to go home, if this induction does not take off, then you need to decline amniotomy. If you're okay staying or you're really committed to meeting your baby or you are there for a medical induction, Amniotomy may be a good option for you, but if you are hoping to go home, if this induction does not work, your waters have to be intact. So really highly consider amniotomy. All right. In terms of being dilated for four days, is that in induction? Is it a four-day induction that got to four centimeters? If that's the case, then you did not meet the criteria for a failed induction or for a stalled labor, what's called labor dystocia by ACOG. Because in order to meet that and need a C-section, the criteria says you have to be in active labor, which is defined as six centimeters. Your waters have to be broken. I don't know in, in this scenario if they were or not. And you have to have several hours, and it depends on whether you have Pitocin augmentation or you don't, of contractions that don't produce any cervical change, cervical effacement, change in the position of your cervix, or you know your baby coming lower in your pelvis, in your vagina. Now, if you find that you don't meet or you didn't meet the criteria for that, Think about that for your next birth. You know, make sure that you know exactly what the criteria are for situations like that. One of the things I do in the birth lounge is not only do I teach you about the birth that you do want, but I'm also helping you prepare for the birth that you don't want. I am helping you avoid the situations that you do not want to be in. I want to help you understand how do you avoid those. And even if you do find yourself in those situations, what are you going to do? What are your options? How do you navigate that? How do you have that conversation? And that is what I'm teaching you in the birth lounge. I'm really sorry that you didn't get the birth that you wanted. Um, you definitely deserved better. I I wish that things had gone differently for you. Um, and I'm sending you a lot of really big hugs. Know that you're not alone in that. I don't know if that makes you feel better or not. Um, but you're not alone in that. There's so many people out there with very similar stories to yours. Your story almost to a T um, and there's so many people out there who share in that collective trauma too from having a baby in the U.S. medical system. So if you are really struggling and you need support, not 
only are there small groups, but there are small groups made for people who have specific birth trauma. There are hotlines that you can call and always talk to someone. Mental health counseling is so, so, so beneficial when it comes to um, dealing with the things that happened in your labor that were out of your control, that made you feel out of control, and that left you with feelings that not only you didn't deserve and you didn't want, but you also weren't prepared for, you didn't expect, you did not see them coming. I also just want to mention one thing that you did not give up. Um, I, I just want to hold space that the you know the medical system can sometimes really put us in in a lock hold. Sometimes it feels like our hands are completely tied and no matter what we choose, it's the wrong choice. Um, and if that's how you're feeling, I don't think that you gave up. I think that maybe you didn't know what kind of options you had and you didn't have anybody that was explaining that to you. And I'm sorry that the medical system failed you in that way. Now, I mentioned if you were four centimeters while in an induction, but if you were four centimeters walking around for four days leading up to your induction, my suggestion would be ask why were you induced? Was it a medical reason? Okay, that is usually not really negotiable. You know, it, negotiable. If, if we know that your baby is better off on the outside, then let's get them out. But if it was an elective induction and your body was four centimeters, you were literally two centimeters away from active labor and your body was doing it, why get induced? Why did we interfere? So it's unclear from this message whether you were four centimeters for four days during an induction or if you were four centimeters, four centimeters for four days and decided to get induced because of that. It's very normal to walk around dilated a little bit you know, at the end of pregnancy. You guys, th that is what I call silent labor. You should be joyous about that. You should be celebrating. Let's be excited about that silent labor. This is labor you don't have to do with strong contractions and vaginal pressure and hip pressure and lower back pressure and feeling the sensations of labor. You are kind of not feeling it at all. You may be a little achy. You may feel pangs and, you know, shooting things here and there, little twitches but as far as intense labor sensations you're not having to do a lot of work for the centimeters that you are dilating so be grateful for that be excited for that because your body is doing a lot of silent labor when you get into labor you're already going to be 20 30 40 50 percent of the way there and you didn't really so much have to work too too hard for it all right, you guys, I'm going to link that Pitocin guide. I already mentioned the induction guide as well. So both of those will be in the show notes. Um, thanks for writing in this question. Great, great question. All right, you guys, here is our last question of the episode. This one is about VBAC. Hi, I'm looking for information on VBAC and TOLAC with induction. So VBAC is vaginal birth after cesarean, and TOLAC is trial of labor after cesarean, T-O-L-A-C. First baby was a C-section, and they were breech. I could not find a provider who would attempt a vaginal delivery. Provider is VBAC supportive, but will not let me go past 40 weeks due to my age of 39. I'm worried about induction and the chance of a quote-unquote emergency C-section and overall safety of TOLAC with induction. Thanks. All right, so here is what we know about VBAC. 
the worry is uterine rupture, right? However, when we look at the risk, it's actually very, very low. Now, sometimes providers can present it as this very big and scary, humongous risk. Now, is it big and scary? Yeah, when it happens, totally. I mean, it is a true emergency when it happens, and it definitely requires immediate medical attention, and it also um, has some pretty big risk. I mean, it, it could definitely harm you or your baby, right? So it is an emergency, but it is rare. It really is. It is rare. Um, the chances of a uterine rupture are much less than the chances that you have a successful vaginal birth after cesarean, which is up to 80%. Yeah. Yeah. Up to four out of five VBACs are going to actually have a vaginal delivery. That's humongous. You know, that shows us that with intentional planning and the right, the proper support, someone who is actually supportive, not tolerant. So there's a big difference between VBAC friendly and supportive versus VBAC tolerant. Uh, but with the right support and the right education and the intentional planning, the right planning, you can absolutely have a VBAC. It's kind of insane to think that there are hospitals out there that literally have VBAC bans. Like they, like you're, you're like not allowed to have a VBAC at that hospital. That's crazy to me. I mean, that is just, that is asinine. It really is. That is crazy to me. I have such a hard time comprehending that hospitals who are tasked with you know, serving the public and being able to give them safe options to have their baby can have someone walk through their doors that are pregnant, that have had a low-risk birth and are a VBAC and have, are a perfect candidate, have every green flag to do a VBAC, to vaginally birth, and then the hospital goes, no, because we aren't trained, because we aren't confident, we require you to have a surgery here. Like, What? That doesn't even make any sense. It literally makes no sense. But anywho, okay, in terms of TOLAC in induction, well, there are many conflicting policies. So you might hear your provider say like, well, with the VBAC, you have to be induced by X number of weeks or, you know, no, we won't induce VBACs, period. I've come across some of the craziest, the wildest, quote unquote, policies First of all, you're always welcome to ask that doctor or that nurse or that whoever it is telling you that, that you'd like to see it in writing, you'd like it to be printed out if they didn't mind and just to bring you a copy so that you could see it for yourself. Um, but the evidence says that as long as you stay away from cervical ripeners, that induction is actually a safe option for VBACs or can be with the proper counseling and you want to understand the risk and the benefits and you probably want to see and check in where your cervix is. The important thing with inducing with a VBAC, which is important in all inductions, you're going to find that in the Pitocin and the induction freebie, but it is to go slow, right? You don't want to overwork the uterus because the more that we overwork the uterus, the higher the chance that something goes wrong, like postpartum hemorrhage or a uterine rupture. And so if we know that we're already working with a uterus that does have a previous incision, 
and has a scar site, then you're going to want to be mindful of any additional risk that we tack onto that. If you choose to be induced, then it's okay. It's not a bad decision. Like I say, it is, everyone kind of uniformly agrees that induction for VBAC, it can be a safe option, but you do stack on a little bit more risk. And so with that, you want to be very careful. No cervical ripeners because as things thin, we don't want that to impact your scar. We only want your body's prostaglandins, your body's natural prostaglandins to do their job. You don't want any, you know, number one, artificial or number two, any additional that your body didn't call for because we do have that previous incision site. Pitocin with a VBAC, though, is an option, as is a balloon. Now, Pitocin, we want to be very, very careful because, you know, the risk of overworking the uterus, it's called uterine atony, and um, having uterine rupture are risks that come along with Pitocin use. So that would be a third thing stacked on there, right? We've got the risk of uterine rupture just by merely being a VBAC. Then we have the risk of uterine rupture for being induced. And now we're adding the risk of uterine rupture because of Pitocin use. And some of that is going to overlap. It's not perfect. It doesn't perfectly stack up to be three individual pieces. But you do have to understand with every decision comes a little bit of increased risk. On the opposite side of that, there's benefit to all of it, um, especially depending on your situation. So make sure that you're taking your situation into account and thinking, what is the best way for me to go? Now, a lot of people do choose to start with the balloon because it's mechanical and we aren't introducing any additional medication. From there, low and slow doses of Pitocin can be used. Now, when you say low and slow, make sure that you're really doing your research on how often Pitocin should be moved up and in wit and what increments because a lot of times in the hospital system we can see them upping pitocin way too fast in way too big of increments and that is absolutely going to impact your labor and a lot of times it's detrimental a lot of times it is not a positive a positive impact right all right, I do break all that down in the pitocin and the induction freebies to so make sure that you grab those as well guys I'm gonna link everything all of the research that I gathered about iron infusions and VBAC induction and uh, the freebies that I mentioned as well. I want you to have all the information so that you can make an informed, confident choice when it comes to having your baby. I want you to feel in control of decisions and feel prepared to navigate these conversations with your provider. All right, you guys, come hang out with me over on Instagram. Find me at Tranquility by Hehe or at the period birth period lounge. And I will say hi. All right, you guys, I will see you next week. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. 
I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.